Hey everyone, welcome to the Revive West Des Moines podcast. I'm Jamie Richards, the Young Adult Minister at Hope West Des Moines. What you are about to hear is the live recording from Revive West Des Moines this past week. We hope you can connect with God and the good life that God has for you through what you hear in this message. Check it. Yo, Mars Blackman here with my main man, Michael Jordan. Yo, Mike, what makes you the best player in the universe? Is it the vicious stunts? No, Mars. Is it the haircut? No, Mars. Is it the shoes? No, Mars. Is it the extra long shorts? No, Mars. Is the shoes it, right? Nah. Is it the short socks? No, Mars. Money's gotta be the shoes. Shoes, shoes, shoes. shoes. You sure it's not the shoes? I'm sure, Mars. What about the shoes? No, Mars. Money's gotta be the shoes. Hi, Revive. Whoop. Hello, Revive. Uh, turn to the person next to you and say, it's definitely not the shoes. Even if you have really, really nice shoes on, it's definitely not the shoes. It's what's inside the shoes, according to the Bible. It's your feet. Turn back to that person and say, it's your feet, baby. It's, got, it's all about your feet. It's not the shoes, it's the feet. That is why the scriptures say, Romans 10 says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news, which is actually not just something Paul came up with as he's writing this letter to the Romans. It's a quote of the prophecy from Isaiah 52. How beautiful are the feet of those who come over the mountaintop and bring the good news of God's love for the world. Where are your feet headed these days? Because so much of Christianity too often turns into um, style over substance. And I would like to, in case you're ever, ever, ever tempted to go there, tip that back right side up for you tonight. It's always gotta be substance over style. It's not the shoes, it's not the fashion, it's not the trends, it's not the way we do it, it's it's not the methodology, it's the theology, it's the God underneath it, and it's what we do. It's the feet that God has given to us, no matter what shoes we're wearing, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring this good news. Who have you brought the gospel to? Gospel's the word for good news. Who have you brought the good news of God's love to? Who brought it to you once upon a time? It's Mother's Day this weekend, and for me, it's mom. My dad's a pastor, and he had a significant influence on um, my religious development, as you might expect if you're a pastor's kid, right? Uh, But my mom was the one who uh, taught me how to pray. She told me the Bible stories. She uh, pointed me. She brought me to church because my dad was already there. Uh, She was was the one who made the connections, who connected the dots for me. Who is that for you? Maybe it's your mom. Maybe it's a a dad, an uncle, an aunt, a grandparent, a friend, a neighbor. Maybe you're still working on it. Maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you're still pursuing it. Maybe you're still on the journey. But somebody invited you here. How beautiful are their feet? How beautiful are their feet for bringing this good news to you today because it is really good news. Billy Graham, who's my hero, one of a few who has uh, shaped my ministry in huge ways. The greatest form of praise, Billy Graham said once to God, is the sound of consecrated feet seeking out the lost and the hopeless. That's the greatest form of praise, the deepest level of praise. Isn't just, isn't just what we do when we worship. This is really important. This is biblical. This, it, I, I always cringe a little bit when preachers and teachers go, it's not this, it's that. It's not the music we do in worship. It's the evangelism we do out there with our feet. No, it's both. 
It's absolutely both. Both are in the Bible. It is the music. It is the worship music. It is the songs we sing. It is the stuff that we do in here. Absolutely essential. You can't pull it away from what the Christian life looks like if you want to have a healthy spiritual life. You were created to praise, whether you want to or not. Whether your, your like, nature wants to sing out, God actually put that inside of you. Whether you're tone deaf or not. Isn't it great that the Bible says make a joyful noise unto the Lord? Instead, of, I mean, there are people like in the front row, like right here, and a few others around, you, around the room who make beautiful sounds when they sing. I mean, absolutely inspiring, stunningly beautiful sounds. And then there's me. I bring volume. I, I bring volume. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Sing your song. You were created to do this. And when we do it, when we, if you're passionate about sports and your team gets you know, a, a win, a big victory, it's a touchdown, it's a three-pointer, it's a home run. And how often do you just sit there and go, huh, how about that? Man, that was really interesting. But then when we come to worship the God who made us, created us, saved us, sustains us, leads us, guides us, inspires us, gives us meaning and purpose, kicks down the door to heaven for us, we hear that and we're like, huh, how about that? Some of these people are really into this music. (laughs) Worship is essential to the Christian life, but so is what Billy Graham points us to here. I mean, he's an evangelist. He's got a little bit of a bias, but he's getting this from scripture. How beautiful are the feet. There's no greater sound. There's no greater praise than to go out and serve God with your feet. To use your feet to take the gospel, the good news of God's love to the world around us. Here at Hope, we've got these um, heart of hope statements, we call them. Our mission, our vision, and our values. And so our mission is what we do. Our values is where we're going. Our goals, our objectives. Uh, But it's not just, here God, these are the goals we're trying to do for you. It's more like, God, what do you want to do through us? Because I've seen the church, I've seen this church when I was trying to do it for God, that lasted about three weeks, the place was ready to tank. Back in 1993 in the summer, there was a flood that hit Des Moines back then. This is before I'm guessing any of you were born. There was a massive flood, it was horrible. The President of the United States came, it was so bad and he felt our pain, that's where he said the famous line, the the whole thing and, and it was disaster. And the other disaster going on closer to home for me was this church was completely falling apart before we ever started. We were just a few weeks old and we were dying. And this was the restart. They'd started it before with another pastor two years earlier in 1991. And that was a total flop. And so all the pastors, all the experts all around town were like, it'll never work. But we just sang a song tonight. I believe that you can do it again, God. I've seen you move mountains. You made a way where there is no way. I believe that you can do it again. And so what happened is we surrendered it all to God, this whole church, and we said, you know what, instead of us coming up with a seven-page mission statement that we really like and is the kind of church we want to have and do it the way we want to do it, we started with Bible study. We had the whole church get together and do a Bible study. There were 12 of us. We broke into groups. (laughs) Because we wanted to make sure everybody was heard. All the introverts would have a voice. Mike Horseman, who's still our choir director today at the church, was our music guy back then. He and his wife came. My wife and I came. Our two kids came. That's six. The other six people were there because they wanted to be. The six of us were there because it was like our job, and we were related to the person who had the job. So we did a Bible study. We dove deep into God's word, and this is what we came up with. Our mission is to reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. 
Our vision is um, at the time to be spirited, growing, and Christ-centered. We've modified that a little bit. God's given us a new vision because the first one kind of happened. And we're so excited about that. It, it basically boils down to, God, we want to see you revive the world with your love through this church. The core values of this church is what you're focusing on during this series. And I couldn't be more excited because I get to tell you how we wrote these. Pastor John Klein, who was here at the time, and I sat down and said, we've got a mission. We know where we're going with our vision. We know what, we're, what God's calling us to do with our mission. And by the way, the church was starting to explode. It was just, it was just booming now. But he said, and I said, we looked at each other like, you know, every once in a while, it feels like we're going off the rails. Every once in a while, it just feels like things are happening so fast that if we aren't careful, we're going to start to think this is about us again. And we're going to go back to the way it was once upon a time. And so we developed these core values. We got back into the word and, and we dove deep. And, and that's what you're going to be looking at all, all uh, for the next, is it one a week? Is it two a week? How, one a week. Okay, there you go. So last week, I'm sure you did one. And this week, we're doing this one. Everyone, let's read it in the red letters. Lost people matter to God, and so they matter to us. You don't have to read the fine print underneath it, but it's just to say that all of these core values are Bible-based. Mission is what we do. Vision is where we're going to go if we do the mission. The core values are the tracks that keep the train able to move so that we don't go off the rails along the way. And so this one's big. This one reminds us why we do what we do. Is church for us, first and foremost? This might not be the answer you want to hear. No. Too many churches symbolically hold hands, look at each other, and sing kumbaya. Boy, we love each other. Boy, we've got this group. And again, it's not either or. That's essential ingredients to a healthy church. But the healthiest churches turn the circle outward on a regular basis. The healthy churches don't just look, say, what's in this for me? What can I consume from church? What can I get out of this ministry? What can I get out of these things? Of course, it's natural. It's our human nature. But what is our human nature? It's sinful. Our human nature is sinful. And so when we ask selfish questions, we're going to end up with unsatisfied souls. Here's how God wired us up. Not just wired us up to worship and praise him with music, but he wired us up to serve. He wired us up to turn the circle outward once in a while and look out into the world. And when we look out into the world, we're going to notice something. There are people who don't know God. There are people who are lost. Lost people matter to God. They don't matter to us because we want to grow the church. They matter to us because they matter to our Lord. They matter to the one we follow. They matter to the one who calls the shots in our lives. He says jump and we say how high. So there's these stories in Luke 15, and I just love this. This is like one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. Here come the religious um, establishment kinds of leaders. They come to Jesus, and they have a bone to pick. They're grumbling. They say, Jesus, how come you spend so much time with sinners, with corrupt people? You know, people who don't belong in our religious inward-looking circles. How come you turn the circle outward, you and your disciples so much, and you're trying to bring God to the masses, people who don't belong in our temple, people who don't belong in our synagogues, people who don't have the right worldview, people who don't have the right attitude, people who don't vote the right way, whichever way that might be, people who have this kind of perspective on life that doesn't align with our religious values. Good thing that that doesn't happen anymore. 
But back then it happened a lot. But let's just imagine it still could happen today. And of course it does. So Jesus in response, sometimes when Jesus would get pushed by the religious leaders, he would respond not with a fight or a debate, he would respond with a story, a parable. It's kind of the fancy Bible word for it. This is the only place recorded in the entire four gospels where Jesus didn't respond with one, not two, but three stories that all make the same big point. Lost people matter to God. And if you think I'm wasting too much time looking out, instead of just taking care of the people who are already convinced that there is a God, then you have the wrong idea of why God puts you here. Those feet that God gave to you are not just for going and getting massages. <laughs> I just made that one up, it wasn't in my notes. <laughs> they aren't just for pedicures, although my wife says those are lovely. And so go ahead and get those on a regular basis if that's your thing. But then use those feet to go, to make disciples, to bring the light of God's love to the world around you, to help the lost get found. Here's Jesus' stories. Number one, you heard the first two in the Bible reading from the shiny new Bible that Laura read with, right, or a little bit earlier. Woo is right. I hope your eyes are okay. Retinas weren't burned or anything like that. But it's, it's not the cover of the Bible, right? It's the content of God's word. It's not the shoes, it's the feet. So the word says this, Jesus says, so you're grumbling because I'm spending too much time with lost people. Huh. A shepherd, Jesus says, because he knows a lot of people get shepherding. It's kind of common in Jesus' day in this part of the world. A shepherd had a hundred sheep, and if they didn't have a hundred sheep, the people he was talking to, they knew somebody who did, or something close to that. So a shepherd had a hundred sheep, and one of them got lost. Ninety-nine were found. What does the shepherd do? And they're all like, well, the shepherd has to go get the lost one. That's what any good shepherd would do. And Jesus says, when the shepherd goes and finds the lost sheep, there's a party in heaven. If you didn't get that, Jesus says, let me tell you another story. A woman lost a coin and she turned her whole house upside down. You ever lose the car keys or, or your phone? You don't know where it is and you can't, you can't do the app because the app's on your phone. So where is it? I don't know. Or, or you do, you get on your laptop and you find out where it is and it's like, I still can't find it. She turns the whole place inside out. She finds the coin that's been lost, which apparently she needs and is meaningful to her. And when she does, she calls her friends over to say, say celebrate with me. I lost my coin, but not only found it. And Jesus says, there's a party like that in heaven when a lost person finds God. You still don't get it, Jesus says? Let me tell you another story, the most famous of the three. A man had two sons. It's the parable of the prodigal son. The younger son was rebellious and he came to his father. He says, give me my share of the inheritance. And his father did. And he ran off and squandered all of that money in uh, notoriously sinful living. He found himself face down in a pig pen. And he said to himself inside his heart, even the pigs are in better shape than I am. I'm so lost. I've lost everything that my father gave to me. I would be better off turning around and going home and living as a slave in my father's house than continuing to try to make it out here apart from who I am and who I was created to be. So he repents, which is a fancy church Bible word for saying he changed the way he thought. 
He turned around and he went home. Best part of the story, he's coming home. His father sees him coming and doesn't stand there and say, well, this ought to be good. Let's see what he has to say. I knew this day would come. The Bible says, Jesus says, as it's recorded in the Bible, Luke 15, the father ran to meet his son. He was so excited that he was, get this, coming home. That's how God feels about you when you come back. Welcome home. I'm not gonna sit here and go, where have you been? What's your problem? What took you so long? You heathen, you sinner, you heretic, you horrible person. I'm so glad you're home. He says, kill the fatted calf, put a robe around him, a robe of dignity, put a ring on his finger, royalty. We're gonna throw a party in our house like we've never had before because this son of mine was dead and now he's alive again. Listen to this, he was lost and now he's found. And there's a party in heaven. Meanwhile, the older brother, and sometimes we feel like the older brother, if you've been religious your whole life and you never left church and you see the people leave and they come back and it's like, oh, they came back, we're so excited. You're like, what about me? I'm a faithful church member. I've been here the whole time. How come nobody gives me a party? Well, we do, you're going to Monterey tonight. <laughs> or Cinco de Mayo, so, so you know, you got that. But that's kind of the father's response as Jesus tells the story. He says, son, you've always had the better part. You misunderstand how it feels and what it means to be lost. Lost is lost. Found is found. You've always been found. You've always had the victory. You've always had the peace that passes all understanding. You've always had the untouchable joy. You've always had the new life each and every day. Celebrate with us. Join the party. Because this brother of yours was lost and now he's found again. Lost people matter to God, Jesus is saying. And so they better matter to my followers or you're not really following me. You've made up your own religion. You've made up your own watered down version of Christianity if it's just all about you and the people you like and the people who do things like you do them already. Lost people matter to God. That's our mission. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He wrote Chronicles of Narnia, cool dude, smart, was an atheist, became a Christian. And that's when he said this, the salvation of a single soul is more important than the production or preservation of all the great written epics in the whole world. He should know his soul was saved by his friend J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings and was a fellow Oxford professor and led him to Christ. Charles Spurgeon, the Baptist preacher, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter, choose. Elizabeth Eaton, the, the Lutheran Pope, uh, on the face of the earth today says, do we really believe that it's God's will to raise up a Lutheran witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Only a Lutheran would say it in such a heady way, but God bless her. If we do, it's gonna happen. The Pope, for those of you, I'm a, I, the Pope, that's my guy. <laughs> we went to the Vatican a few years ago when my daughter was a senior at Luther uh, Choir and she sang in the Nordic Choir. And get this, this is how far walls have come down. The Vatican invited the Luther Choir to come and sing at the Vatican. How cool is that? So we're there and we're excited and here comes the Pope out to lead the mass where my daughter's singing in the choir. And he came out and of course, I mean, he recognized me right away because he's like, oh, there's that Lutheran pastor from America. Oh, wow, I've heard of, no, he didn't say any of that. But in my dream, that's what he said. 
And when he came out, I'd like to at least tell you, you know, he looked right at me and smiled, but he didn't, he looked the other way. And then he went back to his next mass, but it was a moment. Pope Francis says, to evangelize, we must be open to the action of the Holy Spirit without fear, without fear. You know, fear is the thing that keeps us from sharing our faith, isn't it? What will people think? What will my friends say? What if you lived your life where God was your only judge? What if you lived your life and you were more concerned about what God thought than what everybody else thought? Maybe it would change the way you worship. Maybe it would change the way you live out your Christian life. It would bless you. I know that. Because you discover the groove for which you've been created to live, which isn't to please a bunch of people who really, a lot of them don't care about you at all. It's to please the God who loves you so much he gave his son to die for you. So without fear of where God leads, because he will enable us to bear witness to our faith and enlighten the hearts of those we meet. And then there's John Wesley, for those of you who grew up Methodist, and we're covering ecumenical bases here. You have nothing to do but save souls. It is not your business to take care of this or that. It is to save as many souls as you can. And he's not just talking to, you know, church staff. He's talking to the church. He's talking to the believers. Martin Luther, you gotta end with Luther, right? <laughs> it is the duty of every Christian to be Christ to the neighbor to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Jesus himself says, and that's really where we end. That's the last word. I'm nowhere near to the end, just so you know. <laughs> that's where we end this run. You will be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Okay. So we talk about why we do these things, why we go out and share our faith, but I would be I would almost be spiritual malpractice if I just tried to get you all fired up to go turn your circle outward, go bring the faith out, go reach a lost soul. So the next poor friend of yours who doesn't love the Lord is going to get bombarded by you. And you're going to show up with a sledgehammer. I, I don't think you would. I'm just going to exaggerate it to make the point. And you're going to start maybe the conversation with, you think it's hot here next week when it hits 90? <laughs> Where you're going, how, how are you going to like that permanently, right? How, how's that going to work out for you? Now, the, the passion might be right, right? The, the motivation is very wrong. <laughs> Jesus put it this way. He says, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Be smart about this. Be tactful about this. Have you ever heard of... Um, Penn and Teller, the magic act. You ever seen him in Vegas? Anything? What are you doing in Vegas? <laughs> I'm not sure you belong in this church. I, I, I think you're going to... Sit down, sit down. You're, you're definitely in the right church. The lights are artificial, though. But anyway, here's... And they're going to burn out. <laughs> I'm sidetracked. I've got to come back. I've got to come back. I have so many more things I could say to my friend, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, Penn Jillette is a outspoken atheist. Maybe you knew that, maybe you didn't. The, the guy who does all the talking, who knows what Teller thinks, he doesn't say anything. But Penn Jillette is, is one of those guys who, um, you, you can find YouTube videos, you could find all sorts of stuff out there where he's just talk, he's mocking the Bible, he makes fun of Christians, he talks about how absolutely insanely, uh, just image, how, how slow your mind must be if you believe this stuff. And he kind of, you know, poses as the person who's just intellectually deep. But then somebody after one of his shows was wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove. 
And I would love to tell you, so at the end of this clip, he became a born-again, fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. No, he's still popping out atheistic uh, stuff on YouTube, but it got his attention. This is how you reach lost people. It's with love. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we... uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, um, what I call the hover position after I was old on big guy, probably about my age. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff, no reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane, I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye did all of this and uh, it was really wonderful I believe he knew that I was an atheist and I've always said you know that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize I don't respect that at all if you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever and you think that uh, well it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. But this guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize. Yeah, it's really interesting. So how do you come across? Do you come across at all? Do you ever share your faith? Do you ever do what that guy did for somebody he's a big fan of? Loves his act, loves his entertainment, loves the way he does it, loves him. Do you love the people you're trying to reach? Or do you just want to get into an argument with them? So much of what passes as Christian evangelism in the world today is just debates and arguments and fights. You go on TikTok or you go on Instagram, it's like these people saying, oh, you're getting all mad at the other side. And 
What, what does the Bible say in the Old Testament? Six things God hates. No, make it seven, the Bible says. And the last one, but the one worth noting here is people who start fights within the body, within the family of God. People who pick fights. That's not the way to share our faith. That's not the way to bring the good news of God's love to the world around us. You know what Jesus never did? He never, never begged anyone to follow him. He had way more confidence than that. It was almost like Jesus came in and was like, can't you see? <laughs> can't you tell who I am? Have that same quiet assurance, that confidence when you go out that what you have to share, when your feet are beautiful, when they go out there, when you, when you have an opportunity, when the door of opportunity opens for you to share your faith with somebody, that you do it not with nerves and, and anxiety, but you do it with confidence that what I have to share with you would change your life forever. An atheist tells us that. He says, if you believe it and you don't tell me, how much do you have to hate me? How much do you have to not care about my future? To just say, I believe that Jesus is the way to eternal life in heaven because I believe what the Bible says. And to not share it with somebody who doesn't know it. And we say, well, I'm not going to share it because it's not loving. It would be mean to share it. Ben Gillette kind of shakes that out for us and reminds us. It would be hateful not to share it. You'll be my witnesses, Jesus says, to the ends of the earth. From the chosen, which uh, you heard Jamie and Kelsey talk about it in the announcements. It's just this great TV series because it's just so raw. It's so honest. And they just get right down to the heart of these Bible stories. And they tell them so well. Uh, they depict them so well. Jesus comes along to a tax collector named Matthew, who, um, you know, would be the last. Uh, we don't have time to get into it, but just put him on the list of he'd be the last person who you would ever think that anybody who was religious would ever think would follow Jesus. And yet Jesus comes to him. And he builds trust with him. And he builds a relationship with him. And he says, follow me. And Matthew does. Who's invited to the Jesus party? See, that's the other thing. Never give up on anybody. Never give up on your friends. Never give up on your family members. Never give up on your coworkers. Never give up on your neighbors. Never give up on the people who say, I'll never believe in God. I'll never follow Jesus. Never give up on them because when you do, you're giving up on God. You're giving up on God's ability to break through and transform a life. And I see him do that around here all the time. This church is packed full with people who used to call themselves agnostics and a lot of them atheists too. People who used to say, I'm a total skeptic. There's no way I'll ever believe this. And then they come up to be baptized. Jesus went out. He saw the tax collector sitting in the booth. He said, follow me. And then the cool part of the story, Matthew's feet got beautiful. He threw a party and the reason he threw the party was the same reason we do church the way we do. It's why we do Alpha. It's why we have services where we encourage people to come. It's why I would encourage you. You guys are getting bigger. I can tell. Last time I was here, you were half of this. Good for you. Good job. You're inviting people. That's the only way this works. Who will you invite this week? I still see some blue seats. I'd rather see people, wouldn't you? Because then they can hear the good news. Not so they come to hope. Not so they come to revive so that they can meet Jesus. Because if they meet Jesus, their lives could be changed. It's what happened to Matthew. It's what happened to so many different people in this church family. When Levi came to faith, 
He says, I've got an idea. I'm going to throw a party. We're going to go to Monterey on Cinco de Mayo. We're going to have this party. And I'm going to invite all of my sinner friends to come. Because that's who he was. Those are his friends, his circle. And then I'm going to invite Jesus to come. And it became kind of like the parable of the prodigal son story all over again. Because some of the disciples are like, yeah, Jesus, this is a bad idea. You shouldn't be seen at Levi's house. You should Matthew's house. He has two different names, same guy. You shouldn't be seen at the tax collector's house. What are people going to say? What are people going to think? You can't go there. It would be corrupt. It would be wrong. Jesus is like, I'll go. Levi gets it. He's doing the work of an evangelist, as the Bible says. He's got, I've got Jesus, and I've got my friends, and I want to build a bridge. I want to be conduit between the two. I want to do whatever I can to help make the connection. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him, which leads to um, the closing clips. Ever see Les Mis, the musical version, back in 2012 with that guy, I can't remember his name, top of my head, wow, I'm I'm slipping, that guy, yes. (laughs) Big time actor, and uh, Anne Hathaway's in it, and... Um, the young woman from Mamma Mia, which was the worst movie ever, but in this movie she was really good, and then a whole bunch of other stuff. It was great. A little subjective there. That's not from the Lord, that's from me. So Jean Valjean is a, um, he's a corrupt sinner. He's the prodigal son. He's Matthew the tax collector. He's a total mess. He's a train wreck. And he comes to a bishop's house and his plot is, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to steal his silver. In my mind, in one of the most poignant scenes, in one of the best depictions of what grace is supposed to look like, it also points us to what effective evangelism looks like. Take a look. There is wine here to revive you. There is bread to make you strong. There's a bed to rest till morning. Rest from pain and rest from wrong. Bless the food we eat today. Bless our dear sister and our honored guest. We have your silver. We caught this man red-handed. Get the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best 
behind Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. Seeing this some higher plan, you must use this precious silver to become an honest man. By the witness of the martyrs, by the passion and the blood, God has raised you out of darkness. I have saved your soul for Let's start with the bishop's heart. What's in his heart? Let me tell you what's in his heart. He cares more about the soul of the lost man, Jean Valjean, than he does his silver. Where does that come from? It comes from us understanding that's exactly how God sees us. That's what God's grace does for us. And then God says, now let it spill over out of you to the world around you that you would care more about people's eternity and their relationship with God than making sure they get thrown in the slammer for stealing your silver or doing some other wrong to you. Now turn the page a little bit deeper and you realize Jean Valjean is giving his full attention to the bishop. Would he be giving his attention to the bishop if the bishop just says, yeah, he stole my silver, lock him up which is justice, and there's, I'm not saying that God isn't a God of justice, but grace wins in the end, or it isn't Christianity. It has to win in the end. It has to be amazing. It has to be undeserved. It has to be unearned. It has to be free, or it isn't grace. That's what God has given you. Make no mistake about it. Let's not minimize it. We'll receive a mark of that in just a, a moment through the bread and the wine of communion. Now go out and share that with the world around you. You're never so lost that God can't find you. Jean Valjean in the story that uh, Victor Hugo writes, everything changes. He becomes mayor, he becomes an influencer, he helps people who are lost, he helps transform them like he was transformed by God through the bishop. And then he um, gets to his dying day. And his loved ones are there, those who are still left, who are alive. And they're there to uh, grieve his death and to, to, to do a prayer vigil around him while he's dying. And he starts to sing, because it's a musical. <laughs> but because somebody cared enough about his soul to show him what the grace of God looks like, his death would lead to eternal life in heaven. And just as I said, that last scene depicted a grace better than anything I've ever seen. I think this scene depicts death, dying, and our invitation into heaven better than anything that I've ever seen by God's amazing grace. It's love that leads us to eternal life. And it's love that inspires us 
to go out and share this good news with the world around us. Lost people like you, like me, have been saved by God's amazing grace. How dare we keep it to ourselves? Take a look. On this page, I write my last confession. Read it well when I at last am sleeping. It's the story of one who turned from hating. A man who only learned to love when you were in his keeping. I, I know it, Come with me, but chains oh. will never bind you. Oh, I am ready for you. All your grief lost behind you. Look in heaven. Look down on him in mercy Forgive me all my trespasses And take me to your glory Take my hand I'll lead you to salvation Take my love For love is love another person is to see the face of God. Someday we'll all die. In Christ, it's not the end. Let the magnitude of that good news just soak in for a moment. Jean Valjean dies in that scene and then he lives. And I'm not saying heaven's going to look like the French Revolution victory song, <laughs> but you'll see your loved ones there who belong to Christ. You'll You'll worship, you'll sing, because you were created for that. 
Let me ask you a question, not just how great is it that God's amazing grace has been given to you and we're about to get a taste of that. But who's going to be in heaven? Because you loved them enough to invite them to the party. In the night in which he's betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, broke it, gave thanks and gave it for all to eat, saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks and gave it for all to drink, saying, it's a really teeny cup. <laughs> this cup is the new covenant in my blood. There'll be laughter in heaven too. This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Take it, receive it, eat it, drink it, share it. Lost people matter to God, like us. So they have to matter to us because by God's amazing grace, we've been found. Go out and tell people, invite them to come to a place where they can hear the good news. And you could be a part of what God is going to do through you like he did through the bishop for Jean Valjean. And what's the ripple effect on that going to be? You're not going to just lead one person to Christ, but maybe their family and future generations. Heaven's forever. It'll be eternal. Who's going to be there because you planted a seed, because you made an invitation, because you led with love instead of a sledgehammer, because you let God's light shine for you, but you also reflected that light to the world around you. Lost people matter to God, and so they matter to us. And that keeps us on track as a church. It gets us from wandering off into things less important. So let's celebrate God's grace for us. And then let's go out and be the church. Let's go out and let our light shine. Amen? Amen. All right. So we do communion now or we do something else first? Oh, I saw, I like that. That's pretty. There. Oh, we got to pray. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. Jamie's in seminary. This is my first time preaching. So, <laughs> you know, is Jamie just the best? Yeah. yeah praise God. For that. Thank you. Together, let's pray our grace before the Lord's Supper. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The table is set. Come on up whenever you're ready. Thanks for listening, everyone. Revive West Des Moines happens every Thursday night at Hope in West Des Moines, and we'd love to connect with you on social media. So find us and let us know where you're listening from. And whenever you're in town, we would love to have you come to Revive and join us live. Peace out, Scouts.